Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Amen. All right. So we are continuing this morning the series that we started last week that I titled Rebuild. So whether you're in the room or you're online, uh, let's get going with it today. If you were with us last week, you know I, I talked about my family and how when the kids were young, they had a season of their life where they loved to play the game, what did I say? Jenga, right? They loved to play the game Jenga. And the, the game Jenga is really simple, right? It's one move after another, building on each other to build that tower really high. But as you make more moves, the more unstable it gets. You know, the more moves that you make, the more wobbly it gets, the more shaky it gets. And, and as time goes on, when you make too many moves, what happens? Everything comes crashing down. But the hopeful or the beautiful thing a part of, of Jenga is that there's always opportunity and time to rebuild, yeah? If you're willing to kind of uh, take one piece of the b- rubble, the one block from the rubble, and build it up, you can always play again. And so it's simple. You know why I use that analogy. You know why I use that analogy? Because I think that life and Jenga can obvious, uh, often look like each other. See, our life is a series of decisions that are made on top of each other. And when we make decisions that are unwise, we make decisions that are unhealthy, we make enough of them, things become shaky. They become wobbly. And, and, and if we make more than we should, just be honest, we make more than we should, our life can come crashing down. But the hopeful thing that I want us to get last week is just because things come crashing down doesn't mean we can't rebuild. If we're willing to own what is broken, we can begin the process of rebuilding. But that's an intentional choice. And the part of Scripture that I think that we see this the best in is through the book and the life of Nehemiah. And so last week we jumped into the first chapter, right? If you, if you didn't get this, I'll just tell you, go back and watch the first, uh, the first message of this series because, because what we've got is Nehemiah in chapter 1, he finds out that the people and the city of Jerusalem have been destroyed and it's in a pile of rubble. And this is very personal for him. This kind of, it rocks his world. And it shakes him enough that he is shaken out of his seat of comfortability, and he's like, I've got to do something about this. But the amazing part of this story is when he owns what has happened, his first move isn't like our first move often. What we see in his first move is not usually what our go-to is once we experience these crashing down moments. See, Nehemiah, he didn't start grabbing one stone at a time and frantically running to Jerusalem and start rebuilding. No, that wasn't his first move. You would think that'd be his first move. When he sees what's happening, he's got to get to fixing it. You think he'd get to work. But before he got to work, he dug deep into a power source that was greater than his own. He dug deep into worshiping God through prayer. And what you'll see for the rest of the book that we will get into, what you'll see is that first move 
is what set him up for success in everything that else that he did. You've got to get this right from the beginning. How he responded to life kind of falling apart and what God was calling him to, how he responded, set him up for success in everything else that he did. When Nehemiah's foundation for life became worshiping God through prayer, he can now move forward with everything else that God is going to call him to. And that's what we immediately see as we continue in this story of Nehemiah. As we continue to look at his life, this is what we see. But today, instead of reading word for word, I kind of want to walk you through the story. And so grab your Bibles, grab your phones, whatever, and we're going to follow through. I'm going to go Nehemiah chapter 2 and chapter 3. Last week, we saw that he finishes chapter 1 with these words. I'm going to go back. Nehemiah 1, verses 11. He says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You remember that? And, and who was this man, right? You remember? He, this man was the king, King Artaxerxes. He was about to go speak to him. And so what we see is chapter 1 ends and chapter 2 begins. We see he immediately goes from prayer to action. He ends this part of his moment with God in prayer and he gets into action because he, he, he's able to walk now in trusting God for the next moves of his life. Now, remember, what was Nehemiah's job at that point to the king? He's a cupbearer, right? You remember that? He's the cupbearer. And so one day, he is taking drinks to the king. He's tasted them. They're good. They're not poisoning him. He's done his job, and he's taking it to the king. But the king realizes something pretty quickly. The king realizes something pretty quickly. He looks at him. He's like, Nehemiah, I've never seen you this sad before. He also notices something about Nehemiah's life. And here's what I think. I think in this moment, God is giving the king eyes to see something he hasn't seen before in order to kind of escort in a pivotal conversation that Nehemiah is going to have to have. And so right there you see, he's like, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah pauses. It says, he says a quick prayer. And then he says to the king, King, can I have permission to go rebuild the city where my people are? Now think about this. Let's leave where we are right now. Let's go into this story. Nehemiah is saying to his boss, Hey, can I stop working for you and go do something else? I, I know I'm your servant. I know my life is yours. But can I leave this and go do something else? And I told you earlier that the beginning of this move is bathed in prayer, worshiping God through prayer. So what we see is the king says yes. But that's not it. That's not the most amazing part. He says yes, but he also gives him the letters to arrive there safely, and he sends people with him to make sure this journey is going to be okay. And it's not done there. He also gives him supplies to get the job done. So think about this. This non-Jewish king says yes to his non, I mean to his Jewish servant 
to go build something that has nothing to do with the king. Now I want to pause for a second. This is not the message for today, but I, I can't let this moment pass us by. Nehemiah not only goes to get to rebuild the city. I think God honors his prayer and his humility by providing for him everything he needs to get the job done. What we see in this moment, the beginning of chapter 2, I think is a perfect picture of what partnering with God looks like. That not only did God give him the eyes to see the need, he provided the means to get it done. So I want you to remember this. Once again, this is in the message. This is the bonus. This is the plus one, all right? If God calls you to something and you honor him with your life, he will provide what is needed to accomplish what he has called you to do. I need you to understand this because sometimes it's hard to follow God. But if God calls you to something and you honor him with your life, he will provide what's needed to accomplish what he's called you to. Never forget that our job is obedience and loyalty to the calling his job is to provide. Okay, that's the plus one. Let's get back to, let's get back to the story. What we see is now Nehemiah has left the king. And he's gone to rebuild this mission, this mission to rebuild the city. And we got Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. Let me read. Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Now, verse 13. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which have been broken down, and its gates, which have been destroyed by fire. Which this confirms what his brother says originally in chapter 1. So he sees it. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate in the king's pool. There, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as of yet... I had not said anything to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be building the wall. Pause there. Can you picture what's happening? Can you picture what's happening? Once again, I always tell you, don't sit here. Jump into the story. Can you see what's happening? Nehemiah knows what God's calling is on his life, and now he's checking out the scene for himself. He doesn't let anybody know what he is doing. He's just doing his thing. He's getting himself, I think, mentally, spiritually prepared to execute the calling on his life. And then he finally speaks to the people. After he prepares himself, after he walks through the city and he's seeing the destruction, he's seeing what his brother told him. He's like, okay, I'm embracing it. I'm seeing what the problem is. He finally gets to the people. Verse 17. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been burned with fire. So he's like, look, this is what we've got in front of us. And then he makes this huge, just mission-minded ask of the people. He said, now come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Last week, I didn't have time to do this. But I want to kind of go back to where we were last week, and I want to ask the question, why was it such a big deal? 
Why was it such a big deal for when Nehemiah found out that his people and the city was destroyed? Why was it such a big deal that he had to go back into this mess and rebuild it? Why is it so important in these details to find out that all these gates and the walls are broken down with such details? I think there's a couple of reasons. And there's one that's superficial or like obvious. There's one that's superficial and obvious. The other one I think is underneath a little bit. Without the walls, you can imagine what's going on with the people. They're very, very vulnerable. During this time, look at, read through the Old Testament, you'll see people are conquering each other all the time, and usually the Jews are on the losing end, right? They have some periods where they're strong, but man, they're under it so much. So without the walls, anyone could attack. Without the walls, everybody's life was always feeling like it was in danger. Without the walls, they felt insecure every day, that life was shaky, it was wobbly. Is it going to come down? With there being no gates, even if the walls were built up, people still could come in and out. The gates were so important to the city. So we're talking about people's lives being in danger every day. The city has to be rebuilt. But I want to propose this morning that that's not the biggest reason. It's the reason we think of first, because in order to have a city, you've got to have the walls, or you don't really have a city. And if you want to protect your city, you've got to have the walls. I get it. That's the one we see first, but what if there's a bigger reason? What if we, we don't settle for the superficial reasoning and we go, what else is going on? Did you notice the words that Nehemiah spoke just a second ago that I read? He said, come, let us rebuild. So they got the call to action. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Aren't these words interesting? We will no longer be in disgrace. What is he talking about? Why does he choose those words? Well, let me tell you. I think this is what's going on. Jerusalem is the centerpiece of the Israelites' lives. Jerusalem is everything to them. And so when Jerusalem was destroyed, it not only made them unsafe, but the re bigger reason is I think it said something about their God. I think the disgrace is connected to what it said about their God. If their city could be destroyed, was their God real? If their city was in a pile of rubble, is their God powerful? It was only a few years earlier that a priest named Ezra, the book right before Nehemiah, Ezra goes back and builds the temple back. Because when the walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed. So he builds the temple back. And if there's no walls, then how can they worship safely? If there's no walls, how can they worship passionately? How could the move of God happen with the people if they don't have all of this? See, in case you forgot or didn't know, is the temple was where the presence of God was. Remember, this is pre-Jesus. So Jesus hasn't come, hasn't been personal, hasn't changed lives, hasn't died on the cross, the veil hasn't been torn. All the things has not happened yet. This is pre-Jesus. The presence of God is in the holy temple. And so what I want us to see today is that the rebuilding of the city was not just a physical mission, but a spiritual one. 
I think that's what Nehemiah is getting at, that the rebuilding of the city was not just a physical mission, but a spiritual one. For the move of God to happen, the people needed to start rebuilding. And so we need to understand the scene. And I believe what Nehemiah would tell us is the rebuilding was not just about them, but about the glory and the mission of God. The rebuilding was not just physical, it was spiritual. The rebuilding was not just about them, it was about the mission and the glory of God. So much more is going on than just being safe. Here's what I believe. Going back to last week, when the brother came and told Nehemiah, hey, this is what's happened. I think in that moment, through that time of prayer, Nehemiah knew that God was not just calling him to rebuild a city, but to rebuild the move of God. I think there's so much more on the line and so much more is going on. When he spends his time in prayer, he's worshiping God. After he hears what happened, I think Nehemiah knew. God spoke to him and said, you're not just rebuilding a city. You're not just rebuilding a people. You're rebuilding for the move of God on this earth. The problem was, as he walked around, picture him walking around, seeing the mess, seeing the rubble, seeing the destruction. Things are burned. Things are broken. Just picture this. He realizes he could not do this alone. This task was bigger than him. So he realizes in order for Nehemiah to rebuild, it was going to force him to call on God's people to rebuild together. Is going to force him to call on God's people and say, we've got to rebuild together. Because to rebuild Jerusalem was for the glory and the mission of God. But in order for that to happen, it had to be done with more people than himself. He had to call others into it. And that's exactly what he did. After he declares the state of Jerusalem, how it looks, how the people are doing, he calls them into action. And then we get to chapter 3. So that's chapter 2. You kind of got a rundown. You can read it this week to get all the details of it. That's the rundown too. Now we get into 3, okay? And 3 is not the easiest or most fun read, okay? You want to jump into three, chapter 3 this week? It's not the one you just run to and go, oh, this is so awesome. But it's the picture of how people jumped in to get this rebuilding done. It's a picture of how God used his people to make this happen. So I want to read a section to you for you to get a picture of what it is. But I'm going to warn you. I'm about to butcher a lot of names. All right? So you're going to have to give me grace, all right? And I, I want you to get the bigger picture of this. So here we go. And you can make fun of me later, okay? So let's go over chapter 3, verse 17. Next to him... The repairs were made by the Levites under Raham, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kiliah, carried out repairs for his district. Now verse 18. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Benui, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half district of Kiliah. 19. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Verse 20. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Verse 21. Next to him, 
Mermoth, son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired another section for the entrance of Eliashib's house on the other end. I told you. What did I tell you about verse 3? It's a, that's, read the whole thing, and you can read out loud for people to make fun of you, right? So, you see what's going on? Do you see this little picture of what is going on? Do you notice something repetitive? There are three words that are repeated over and over and over in this portion of Scripture. Actually, 27 times these three words are said in this chapter if you read it. I've read it a bunch this week. What are the three words? Next to him. Do you see that? God was rebuilding this city with a purpose. But it could not be done by one person. So 27 times. That's my count. Maybe there's 27 times. In chapter 3, next to him was said. The rebuilding of the city was people coming together, doing their part. That's how it happened. Verse, chapter 3 is all about letting people know this is how the rebuilding happened. And it happened words next to him over and over and over. But I want to jump down to verse 28 now. Because it gives a slightly different picture and maybe a strategic one. Verse 28 says, Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, there, there you go again, right? Sadak, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Okay, if you read this normally and you just pluck this out, you're like, like, we're not, we're not, like, it's just simple words, yeah? Like, it just, it's a story here, it's information. But I think there's so much more going on here. The simple words in front of, of or opposite their house means something. Picture how this, this rebuilding is going on, this move of God. Picture how it's happening. What does it say to you that Nehemiah uses these words, that the words of Nehemiah's story, his life, are spoken in this way? I think this is what it says to me, is when rebuilding the city, God asked each person to embrace their place he had positioned in their lives. As the city was being rebuilt, he asked people to embrace the place where they are to take part in the rebuild. If each person took responsibility for their part of the project, the rebuild would be successful. Say that again. I need you to see, because this is what chapter 3 is talking about. If each person took responsibility for their part of the project, the rebuild would be successful. That's the picture I see here. That's what I see going on right now. Now, last week, I talked about the rebuilding. And I talked about you. I talked about me. Today, I don't want to shine the light on you. I don't want to shine the light on me. This week, I want to shine the light on us. I want to talk about One Hope Church this morning. When I read these chapters over and over and over, I felt a stirring in my soul that we as One Hope Church need to view, uh, look at ourselves from the lens of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And I don't mean to compare ourselves to Jerusalem. I'm not saying that. I'm saying to 
look at where we are with the lens of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. All throughout the Bible, God speaks to how he uses the church to change lives. All throughout scripture, you see God uses the church to point people to Jesus. That the church is part of a greater mission of redeeming the world back to him. The church is an important part of God's plan. The church has taken a big hit in culture right now. Some of it very justified. But that doesn't take away, I don't believe, from the calling of the church, the purpose of the church that God had. I want to get, I want to be a little personal with you. I want to be personal with you and, and let you know that this was a big week for me this week. I want to be honest. If you're around here, you, you, you get used to me. Like, I'm always open-handed. I'm vulnerable. I'm transparent. Like, I, I want to show you the ways that God is speaking to me. And maybe it can do something for your lives as well. But the reality of my life the past couple months, I have struggled it hasn't been the whole year. I've noticed the past few months, I've really struggled in my life. The reality of my life is that I, have, I've, I felt like I lost my joy for ministry. Now, I didn't lose my love for you. I didn't lose my love for the church. I just felt like I was in a funk. Have you ever been in that place? Like you don't have the joy of life. You're not sure what life is supposed to be about, and you just, it just doesn't feel good. It may just be not one huge thing. It just may be just, you're just not feeling it. I felt like I couldn't break loose and feel that joy of God's calling on my life. But I want to tell you, this week was a big week. Through one specific person, and these two chapters of Nehemiah, God began to reveal some very straightforward, powerful truths for my life. And it began to grab a hold of my heart and my mind. And I think what happened is God, I need to have, to have to, I guess was asking me to have humility and to come to grips with the reality of this past year that maybe it was more emotionally taxing and destructive on my life than I thought it was. As you can imagine and would expect, this place as a centerpiece in my life. You have a centerpiece in my life. And it felt like for the last year, it just felt like something I cared about so deeply. We had to slam the brakes and walk away from what we normally did here. I mean, for weeks, what did I do? I sat here and spoke to a camera. No one in the room. We weren't together. For months, we couldn't encourage each other. We couldn't serve the community the way we love. We couldn't go on mission trips the way we believed we should. We were isolated from each other. Even when we were together, we really couldn't engage and talk. There was this separation between us. 
Small groups were put on pause for so long. We couldn't invest in students, or we couldn't invest in kids the way we love to, the way we believe we should. For so long, my life, and I felt like this church was in a place of just, um, can I say surviving? Not really on mission, but like surviving to get through. And so God drilled something into my head, into my body, into my soul this week, is that our church was not created to just survive. That I believe that God has a great calling on the church, but we're talking about us today. That he has a great calling, big calling on our church. That One Hope Church is God's church. It's not your church, it's not my church. And that God has created and sustained this church for over a hundred years for more than just to exist or more than just survive. And the history of this church is that we have changed and changed again and then changed again for the mission that God had for us. The history of this church is we have adapted and readapted and adapted again for the mission that God has for us. The calling on God, uh, from God has always been big on this church. It's been bigger than one person. And I looked at the story of the Israelites and what they did. And, and as I read it, it brought this healthy conviction to my life. I'll be honest, it brought an energy to my life. And when I look at what the, the, the Jewish people did in Jerusalem, and knowing it wasn't just a physical rebuild, but a spiritual one, Something moved in me. And God began to speak new and energy-filled, mission-filled mindsets that I want to share for you th- with you this morning. That in the rebuilding of the city, what I see is they were on mission for something bigger than themselves. When I read these stories, when I read this book, when I read about Nehemiah's life, in rebuilding of the city, they were on mission for something bigger than themselves. God was using their lives for a greater purpose. There was something God had not done yet, and he needed his people to get to work. So I read these chapters over and over and over and let them repeat in my head, God, speak to me what's going on here. And then something big hit me is the rebuilding project that was going on wasn't about rebuilding back to what God had already accomplished in the past. It was about being part of what God was building for the future. That when I read these chapters, they're like, hey, they weren't rebuilding the walls to accomplish what God had already done. They were rebuilding the city to accomplish what God wanted to do next. And when his people said yes to the mission of rebuilding this city together, they were saying yes to joining God in what was next, to, to redeem this world back to him. I felt God was very clear to me this week, and I guess the most clear and blunt way I can say it is, as I read this story, it inspires me to say that it is time for us to say yes to what God has for One Hope Church moving forward. That COVID almost forced us to pause, but that pause has to be over. 
that God needs our church to take on the mission of redeeming the world for his glory in a way that it never has before. God is calling us to say yes to what's next, not what was, but what is to come. This is who God is. This city is filled with people that need this church to invest in their lives. There are marriages that need investment. There are kids that need investment. There are teenagers that need investment. There are individuals that need us to say, we'll take on the mission of God because hope is lost. People are in survival mode. People are hurting. People do not know what the next move is. We need to invest in serving our community with the love of Jesus. We need to invest in places beyond our city where God calls us to. We need to have a church that says, I'm ready to be the church, not just on Sunday, but every day. I think this church, this week, I need to be reminded. Because God has called me to lead this church, we need to be reminded that God did not create this church just for you. God create, didn't create the church just for me. God created this church. It was first and foremost about his glory and his mission for this world. I think we need to say yes because God has something for us that we have never experienced before, just like Jerusalem did as they rebuilt that city. And so I want to ask today, just like I saw Nehemiah ask the people, um, will you do your part? Will you buy in? Will you use your passions? Will you use your time? Will you use your finances? Will you use your talents to invest in our church as we get on mission to change the world in the name of Jesus? Will you use your life every day, not just to build your platform or advance your causes, but to invest in people in the name of Jesus? Specifically, will you find your place in this church as we move forward? Will you say yes to simple things, but big things, like to greet people in the parking lot, at the doors, at, in the lobbies? Will you jump in and say, I want to be part of making people feel welcome? Will you say yes to a security team so that everything is in safe and in order on Sunday morning, that somebody needs something? Will you say yes to be part of what makes all this happen, from technology to worship? Will you say yes to leading a group, whether that's on Sunday mornings or any night of the week? Will you say yes to investing in teenagers? Will you say yes to investing in kids and KidSpot Junior and KidSpot? James already said that in the announcement. We're, we're taking a risk. I get it. To, to open these doors, not once but twice. I believe that God has called me to lead us in this place, but it does take work of his people. There's no lying. There's no getting around it. Will you invest in these groups of people? I believe, hear my heart on this, I'm going from a place of feeling like I was just in survival to a place that I didn't have joy. And in a moment, God can speak, God can move, God can use people, God can use scripture to speak into that there is something that he has for us in a bigger way this year. I think we're going to see life change in this place. And I don't say that from a place of like hopefulness that Scott's making it up. I feel it deep in my bones that something, we're on the verge of something in this place. But if we're going to see the move of God done in this place, you need to find your place to say, I want to be part of what One Hope Church is doing. 
I was honest about my life, and I'm going to ask you to be honest about yours. This last year has been tough. I didn't realize the effects it had on me. I, I, I didn't feel great, but I, didn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. And God begins to speak to me, go, this is what's going on. Is there any chance that this year has been tough on you, and you have that same survival mentality? Because when we do that, what I found is our byproduct of our lives is to look for the most convenient way to live. When we're in survival mode, we just want to have the most convenient lives. When we're in survival, we become very protective of our lives. But I want to tell you something today. You were not created to just survive. You were not created to protect your life in that way to protect your time, to protect your money, to protect your talents, to protect your passions. God created you to be part of a mission in this world that's bigger than you. And that can happen in a lot of places in a lot of ways, but I want to talk about us this morning. So I want to ask you today, will you invest? Will you believe in One Hope Church enough to believe that you'll be part of just saying, God, I know you want to do something through this place because this place was not created just to survive. I, I want you to, I want you to believe enough in this place that you'll say, we won't just exist, but the history and the future of this church is that we will do whatever it takes, that lives are going to be changed. But if that's going to happen, it can't happen by me. It can't happen just by the pastoral staff. It, comes, it happens when we rebuild together. So as I read Nehemiah chapter 2 and chapter 3, it gave me a picture of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but it, what it did is it gave me a conviction for the building of One Hope Church. I see a picture of what God can do through a place that says, yes, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. When we say yes, we won't protect our own lives. We won't just go for what's convenient. We won't go for what's just easy. We won't just look at our life and try to advance our own. We will say, God, I've only got a short time on this earth, and what you're doing is bigger than me. What you're doing is bigger than my moment on this earth, that we're continuing the history of God's move on this earth, and I don't know exactly what it looks like, but this place has a calling of God on it. So Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah calls his people to action and said, let's rebuild. We're coming out of a season where things were in survival mode, but that pause has to be over and say, we're not surviving. We are thriving in the mission of God of this place. So what I'm going to ask us to do today is just, will you, will you be part of praying one, for the move of God in this place. Be not something just physical, but it'd be something spiritual. It'd be something supernatural. It would be what Ephesians tells us where it's beyond everything we can ask or imagine, anything we can ever think about because when God is part of it, something bigger happens than what our efforts can provide. And I just ask, would you be available for that? Would you pray, God, I can't come to this place and not be part of it. I want to jump in. Because you're going to do something through this place. So you bow your heads. And I just want to have a time of quick prayer over this place.
And I'd ask you to join me in praying for this place, but also that you would join me in saying, God, whatever it is you want me to do to be a part of this, be part of your church, this is not about me, this is not about Scott, this is not about any of it, this is for the glory and the mission of God. God, let me be a part of it, Heavenly Father. You have seen your church through a lot of things. Your hand of blessing has been on this place for years. And God, I'm asking today that we not rebuild to experience what was, but we rebuild to what can be. God, not what what is, uh, but what is to come. God, Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit be powerful in this room. I pray your spirit be powerful in your people, that when we leave, that the spirit and the hope and the truth of this place goes with us into this world. God, I ask as we invest in marriages that you would heal and restore. As we invest in kids, God, that there would be life change and at the root of everything that they are, they would know that a God loves them and they would grow up passionately about you. God, I pray for teenagers who are fighting every single day. I pray through our efforts, God, that you would multiply the disciples in our student ministry. God, I pray today that you would bring healing physical healing, spiritual healing, financial healing, that you'd bring relational healing, God, that you would bring restoration to this place because you have a mission for this church and we need to be set free so that we can live it out in this world. God, I pray that we wouldn't settle. And God, I pray you'd bring an excitement and an energy that you brought to me this week, just thinking about how we can be part of something bigger than ourselves. And God, I pray there'd be an excitement that happens in this place not because of what we get from it, but because we're part of building your kingdom. And so God, today, I ask you in a way that I've never asked you before, God, will you pour your favor on this place? May this place completely be owned by your spirit. I pray this place would be filled with people who are passionately worshiping you. Every week we get to praise your name because you are the center of our lives. God, there are moments, in, in, I think, in churches where you have an opportunity to say, we are yours completely. So God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in one hope as it is in heaven. God, I pray this wouldn't be a moment, but it would be the beginning of a movement. We are available to anything you want us to do, God. And may you bring whoever you would have to bring to this place, not to grow the church, but for lives to be transformed in your name so that we can be part of kingdom-building missions on this earth. So I just ask you, go with us today. I would ask you to go with us today and may we not leave this in the room, but that your spirit would stir in our hearts and our souls just as you did with me this week. May your scripture speak loudly and may your voice be louder than it ever has been. It's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, 
service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.